This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be looking at the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for gathering us here to hear your word. Uh, Pray that you would open up our hearts to your word, that we would receive it, that we would hear from you, Lord God. We don't just want to hear from human beings. We want to hear from you. And I pray that nothing I do gets in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You shall not murder. Do we really need a whole sermon on this commandment? I mean, isn't this kind of self-explanatory? Like by now, uh, we should have gotten that, that this is the one command that, that kind of goes without saying, isn't it? I mean, it's the one command that, that do we even really need to make it a part of the, the Ten Commandments? Because already, intrinsically, uh, almost all courtrooms, all cultures agree, at least at some level, that it is wrong to murder. And so we learned uh, back in 1945 in the Nuremberg trials when there was an international tribunal that convicted the Nazi leaders of crimes against humanity. All the judges from all the different countries all agreed on this one thing. It was wrong for them to murder the Jews. We already know this. But why is it wrong to murder? Give me the reason. Why is that wrong? If you look uh, at Darwinian evolution, the theory of Darwinian evolution, you won't get an answer to that question. You know, the the theory of Darwinian evolution says that, that somehow life appeared, and then there's this idea that somehow simple life became more complex. And then for some reason, for some reason, we, we decided to draw a line with humans that they deserve certain rights and protections. But there's no reason why. And if you just look at the natural world, you're not going to find a reason why we shouldn't hurt or harm our neighbor or, or kill another human being. When you go out and look at nature, it's a dog-eat-dog kind of world out there, Right? That coyote who's eating the neighborhood dogs in Mequon, he's not really concerned about hurting his neighbor, right? You can't figure out why it's wrong to murder by looking at nature. And so there is no theory, scientific theory of how the world came to be. There's no worldly philosophy that can actually give you the reason why it's wrong to murder. And that's why we need the word of God. So today, as mentioned, we're continuing our sermon series, Top 10 Ways to a Better Life. It's a sermon series through the Ten Commandments. Today we're on the Fifth Commandment, You Shall Not Murder. And the question I want to answer today is, why do we put such a high value on humans? Why do we put such a high value on human life? And to answer this question, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20. Remember the context of this section is where Moses has just led God's people, the Israelites, out of Egyptian slavery. They were enslaved for over 400 years. God led them out through the leadership of Moses. And then Moses went up on Mount Sinai where he got the terms of the contract, the covenant that God was going to make with his people. 
God says that the Israelites was his special people and he wanted to make a covenant with them, a promise with them, a, a, a contract with them. And, and that contract is the Ten Commandments. That's why it was originally given. It was a contract between God's people and the Lord. And what's interesting about this contract, about the Ten Commandments, is that the last two commandments we've looked at, God's given a reason why they should follow them. So two weeks ago, we looked at the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day. Why? Well, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, God rested, and so you should rest. That's the reason why we follow the Sabbath day. How about last week? The fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Why? Well, the Bible says, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you, so that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. When you listen to your parents, no matter what you kids think, when you listen to your parents, life is probably going to end up better. You're probably going to live longer. Things are going to work out better. And so there's a reason why. But then you get to the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, period. Crickets, no explanation. Move on to the sixth commandment. But why? Why is it wrong to murder? Well, the reason God doesn't give an answer to why is because he already gave the answer way back in Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, you have the account of the flood. And the Bible says that the world became so filled with bloodshed It became so corrupt. There was no turning back. It was just so wicked that God decided to start over. And he looked throughout the world, and the only family that that he could see himself starting over with was Noah and his family. So Noah and his family entered the ark, and two of every kind of animal. And when they came out of the ark to start over, God said this in Genesis chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish of the seas. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave every green plant Now I give you everything. This has to be a hunter's favorite verse in the Bible, right? It seems like before this, all the the, the people were eating were green plants and fruits and vegetables. And now God says, as I used to give you only green plants, now I give you every animal for food. And so all you hunters out there, all you fishermen out there, this is your favorite verse in the Bible, right? Right? It is not morally wrong to eat a steak, to have a chicken sandwich. It's not morally wrong to to eat meat. That God says he has given them to us for our food. But that doesn't mean that we can eat any part of creation or kill any part of creation. God has drawn a line. This is what God says. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. 
So God says he's going to demand an accounting. He's going to bring to justice anyone who brings to, or anyone who ends a human life. In fact, he even says he's going to bring to justice any animal that takes a human life. Why? Why is there this line drawn that you cannot take a human life? Well, he goes on. It's kind of a poetic way to sum everything up. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So whoever kills a human being, they're supposed to be brought to justice. Why are they supposed to be brought to justice? Because humans are made in the image of God. And when you see that phrase, image of God, it's like a hyperlink. You know, when you click on a hyperlink in an email, it's supposed to send you somewhere else. When you see that image of God phrase, that's a hyperlink back to the first page of the Bible. On the first page of the Bible, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. It says that the earth lacked foundation and it was empty. And so God built foundations. The first three days, he built the the light and the darkness. And then he created the sky and the seas. And then it says he created the dry land and vegetation. That was the foundation. And then he filled in that foundation, kind of like someone building a house and now decorating the house. Now he, he fills in that house, fills in his creation by putting the sun, moon, and stars in the light and darkness. He filled up the sky and the water with the, the birds and the, the fish. And then he filled the dry land with animals. And when everything was put together, when the stage was set, when the house was built, when everything was decorated, then he welcomed the crown of his creation into the home. The Bible says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He says, let us, so a little side note here, many people were wondering, who's God talking to? Let us make mankind in our image. Some people believe he's talking to like the divine council of angels around him, but many people believe that he's talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, saying, let us now make mankind in our image. And so in some way, humans reflect God. Every human. In some way, they are like God. It's the only part of creation that God says this. Only with humans, he says, in some way you are like God. So if I would say to you, you know, you are like your parents. You are the spitting image of your parents. Maybe you don't want to hear that, but that's true, right? And, and that means that, that maybe you act like them or you have some of their characteristics or you, you reflect them in some way. And, and humans in some way reflect God. We're made in his image. We're, we're called to rule over his creation. We're to be co-rulers over creation, to take care of creation. We're to reflect him in our creativity. Every time you, you build something, you make something, you write something, any kind of artistic work you're doing, you're reflecting the image of God, the creator. Anytime you love part of creation or you love someone, you're reflecting the image of God. You're, you're reflecting him. And then he sums up everything with probably one of the most important verses on this subject in the whole Bible. Verse 27. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the most important verse in the history of the world because it establishes human rights. Without this verse, you have no foundation for human rights. You have none. There, there is no, there, there, you're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it in philosophy. You're not going to find it in science. You're not going to find it in any other re- world religion. It is only here in this verse of the Bible it establishes human rights. That God created human beings as the crown of his creation, male and female. It's because of this verse that racism is wrong. It's because of this verse that prejudice is wrong, that sexism is wrong, that any kind of hurt or harm to another human being is wrong. It is this verse in the Bible that establishes human rights. And everywhere, and we know this because everywhere Christianity has reached in the world, the value of women go up, the value of human rights, the marginalized goes up, the care for the unborn goes up. Everywhere Christianity reaches, because of this verse, life changes. And when you think about it, it's kind of shocking. Um, why? What, what is it about humans that, that God gives such a high value, that God, that God decides that they deserve certain protections and rights? It's kind of mind-blowing. In fact, that's how the psalmist talks about it. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 8, that, that brings this out, this kind of wonder, this kind of amazement. And, and in this psalm, you get kind of a tour of creation and then the the wonder of God's care for humans. It says this, Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Even if you're not a Christian or you don't believe in the Bible, this would be one reason to be interested in Christianity because this is the only place you're going to find a reason to value human life. It is amazing. It is a a wonder. It kind of blows our minds. Makes me think of this. Uh, In Winona, Minnesota, there is this... this, uh, it's a little city, 27,000 people, but in the middle of the city, there is an art museum. And in this art museum, in this little city, they have paintings from Pablo Picasso and Vincent van Gogh. And we're walking through this art museum and uh, kind of appreciating some of the art and the paintings and, and being so moved by them and kind of walking through the museum. And then I saw one painting and I kind of shrugged my shoulders and, oh, that's nice, and moved on. And then someone stopped me and said, that's the Vincent van Gogh painting. That's the most valuable painting in this whole art museum. And I didn't see anything special about it, but someone who knew more about art stopped me and, and helped me appreciate this painting. And that's what God is doing for us. I want you to uh, to picture God taking you on a tour of creation. 
God takes you out into the outmost parts of the universe and he shows you the trillions of stars. You know, there are more stars in the sky than all the sand on all the seashores put together. He shows you all those stars and the, the size of the planets and you say, wow, God, look at what you've made. And he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he takes you down to earth and he shows you Mount Everest and you stand before Mount Everest or, or you stand in front of the Grand Canyon. Have you ever done that? I mean, literally, it will take your breath away. You stand before the Grand Canyon. You say, wow, God, look at what you've made. And he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he takes you and shows you wildlife. You, he helps you. You dive deep into the ocean and you see this huge blue whale. And then he takes you to, the, to Africa and you see this this cheetah that's running whatever 60 miles an hour and then you see this huge elephant and then he he takes you and you you see an eagle soaring through the sky and say god wow look at what you've made he says you ain't seen nothing yet you haven't seen the most precious part of my creation he takes you into a little home little child playing on the floor unable to to pick a spoon up to its mouth and, and feed itself and he says that's the most precious part of creation. That's what I get excited about. That's what I think is most valuable in everything else that I've made. And that helps us answer our question. Why do we put such a high value on humans? Because God says so. That's it. There's no other reason. He's decided to make you in his image. He's decided. I mean, I walk into that that museum, and I think, well, why is this painting more valuable than all the other paintings? Because someone said so. And God has decided to say, you are the most valuable, precious part of all his creation. And that leads to some application. Number one, all life matters. All of it. That means you matter. Before you produce anything, before you can do anything, it, it, it doesn't, you don't matter based on your talents or how much money you make or, or what your skills are or how, you're good, how good you are at art or sports or business or creativity or any of those things. You are intrinsically valuable. And, and that goes for everybody, no matter your race or your age or your sexual orientation, any of those things. None of those things give you a different value. All life matters. Every single person. And so that leads to the next point. Protect life. This is why Christians will get, get so concerned about abortion and euthanasia because Christians believe that, that all life is precious, even life that's not yet to be born. It has value intrinsically. And even at the end of life, where, where maybe somebody can't produce or make or take care of themselves, even if they can't take care of themselves, they are valuable. If you have special needs or, or other kind of setbacks or any of those kind of things, it doesn't matter. You're equally valuable. All that life needs to be protected. But not just at the beginning of life or at the end of life. But that's why we're so concerned about child protection. Any child that's been physically or sexually abused, we want to do everything we can to listen to their outcries and protect them and to show them their value and meaning. That's why when it comes to domestic issues, when, when somebody's in a, in a relationship where they're being manipulated or controlled or, or hurt physically or emotionally, that's why we stand up for any of those people in those marginalized situations. We protect life because God says so. It's valuable. 
It also means that leads to the next point, not just protecting life from being ended or hurt or harmed, but we want to cause life to flourish and to prosper. If you're married and God gives you this blessing, have children, have lots of them. Because children are not a burden, they're a blessing. You can create life. And not just creating life, uh, but causing it to flourish. And if God doesn't allow you to have children, maybe consider adopting or fostering children. I'm so inspired by so many of you who've decided to to foster children or protect children in different ways, to bring them into your home and and give them a safe and and happy home, Um, to cause it to flourish. When you see a child help children and help people use all their gifts and abilities and be the kind of people that God created them, them to be, cause their life to flourish. And then finally, to love your neighbor, even your enemy. In Matthew chapter 5, when when Jesus is preaching on this commandment, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, don't even hate someone in your heart. That's the beginning of murder. And so when you see that enemy, that person that's wronged you or harmed you, don't let that anger or hatred harbor in your heart. He doesn't want even the beginning of murder to take root in your heart, to love your enemy. Now, as you hear all of this, maybe it pricks your conscience and, and, and it convicts you. Because maybe some people here, you've had an abortion. You haven't protected life. Uh, maybe you, you do have hatred harboring in your heart. You haven't seen the value of the people you work with or the, the people in your neighborhood or the people in your family. And you're convicted. Well, I want you to know how far God values human life, even sinful life. God puts such a high price and high value on humans, he became one. He became one. In fact, he became the human that all of us were supposed to be. He was humble and kind and considerate and courageous. He stood up for what was right and stopped what was wrong. He stood up for children and and protected life and valued life that actually brought healing to people's life. He was the person we were all supposed to be. Not just as a good example, but as our substitute. Now this world had been so filled with corruption and wickedness again, but God decided instead of starting all over with another flood, God decided to flood Jesus with all of our wickedness and sin and wrongdoing. They, it all went into Jesus. And then he, he went up on that cross and he let all of this punishment that we deserve be put on him. And then he came out of the grave on the other side. The Bible says, because he lives, we too shall live. Uh, that, that God is going to start over. He's going to resurrect your bodies. The Bible says when he comes back again, you will be resurrected either to eternal life in the renewed world or to eternal separation with God. And that's the final reason why human life is so important. Because all life has an eternal destiny. There are no ordinary people. There are no mere mortals. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, talks about this. 
I'm going to read it in a moment, but he says in this sermon that the, the person sitting next to you, no matter how uninteresting they might be, now don't look at the person next to you, but no matter how uninteresting they might be, if you saw them in their glorified state, you might be tempted to worship them. So let's read what C.S. Lewis says. It may be possible for each of us, for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations, either to glory or separation from God. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting Splendors. You shall not murder. Why? Because there's no ordinary people. There's no mere mortals. Every human being has been made in the image of God. And every human being has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And every human being has an eternal destiny. And so, see that all life matters. Do everything you can to protect every human life. Do everything you can to cause every human life around you to, to flourish and to grow, to even love your neighbor. Why? Because that human sitting next to you is the most precious part of God's creation. Let us pray. Lord God, You've called us not only to, to stay away from, from murder or killing, but to not even let it begin to show seeds of hatred in our heart. And so root out any kind of sin or wickedness inside of us. Forgive us for all of our sins, even the, the ones that we are most ashamed for, even the ones we think are unforgivable. Lord God, take the weight of that guilt off our shoulders. And then Lord God, lead us to love and cherish those humans who are sitting next to us, who you put in our lives 
so that we can see in them your face. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.